The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Amen, amen. I don't think y'all believe it. I don't think y'all believe it. Because we are prone to wonder. From the very God that has shown love to us, died for us, and this week gives us that reality. As we have been going through the book of Isaiah, we see how um, a people will rebel and wonder from God, although he has saved them. And we take a pause this week through the book of Isaiah by um, going to uh, Matthew 21, 1 through 11, as we prepare our hearts for Holy Week. Uh, Before we dive into the text, let me read, I mean, yeah, let me read the word of God before you. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a coat with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this place, he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They, went, they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their, put their cloaks on them and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? The crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus. From Nazareth of Galilee, this is the word of God. Uh, Let me pray. Father, I feel the weight of your word every time that I stand before your people. So, Lord Jesus, hide me beneath your cross. Do not allow me to think about what I want to say, but, Lord, help me to say what you want to say to your people at this time. God, allow the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said together. Amen, amen. As many of us know, the characteristic of Jesus is one that is gentle, meek, and humble. But I think it's hard for us today to really understand what authentic humility is, especially because for us, false humility looks at a couple different ways. Depending on where you're from, 
So I'm not from Memphis, but I've been here for some time. And I think the Memphis way to show false humility, depending on where, you from, where you're from, is a phrase like, oh, man, you think you look good today. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all didn't catch that. Oh, man, you think you look good today. Now, the main, for some of y'all, it's new, to, it's new to me, okay? I never said main a day in my life until I came to Memphis. I remember sitting in the barbershop, and my barber said to some, somebody, and they were so fascinated, so overwhelmed, their response was saying main at least five times. And that was the rest of the conversation. But there are other ways, seriously, where when you, depending on where you grew up and what phrases, if you were to compliment someone, it was almost a backhanded compliment. It's, you know, it, it was the, oh, you think you look good today. Look at you. You, wearing, you got your nice shoes on today. Oh, you got your nice church outfit on today. You know, it was that kind of thing. And then you have, depending on where you grew up, it was if you had something on nice, you had to give an excuse as to why you purchased it. Like, I got it on the clearance rack. I got it. It was 75% off. Oh, trust me, I didn't pay full price for this. Right? All of us deal with the level of trying to show modesty, but yet it's false humility, merely because sometimes we have things to hide. Or we are, we're not authentic in the way that we approach one another. It was in the New York Times article that said humility has become vainglory. Because when you see an artist step up to the award ceremony or a celebrity or someone that is of means of wealth, when they receive something, they say, oh, I'm so humble that my fans got me to this point. I'm so humble that something happened for the benefit of themselves. Is that the type of humility that we're taught from the Bible? That because what someone else does, it humbles them to such a point that they benefit greatly from it. Or does Jesus tell us that humility requires a great deal of sacrifice, for which we've seen in Isaiah 53? That what if the artist or someone got up and said, I am so grateful that I am willing to give up absolutely everything that you have awarded me with so that everyone else will be benefited from? Because guaranteed, every artist, every celebrity, every athlete goes back home to their $500,000 million, trillion-dollar home and rest while some of us sit in our little bitty homes and go to sleep and think about the fact that we're a fan of somebody who's benefiting of our friendship. Being a fanatic does not bring humility to people. Strength and humility is not one benefiting from the others simply because their lives will be better. Authentic humility comes with strength that means that not only will your words say one thing, but your deeds meet them. There's a pastor in India who was confronted angrily by a man in his office one day, and this man made many unfair and untrue accusations about the pastor. And after finishing this angry outburst, the man asked the pastor, what do you have to say about this, sir? The pastor responded by getting up out of his chair and he walked to the washroom right next door and he filled a basin, an empty basin with water and came back to the room. The angry man was surprised when he saw the basin of water and asked, what was it for? The pastor replied that even though the accusations were not true, that since the person was nevertheless upset with him, he felt 
the right thing to do was to ask for forgiveness. He then offered to wash the man's feet. What happened then was the man broke down in tears at his act of humility and opened his heart to the Lord. And the pastor's humility was shown to be one of strength and authenticity and not weakness. What happens when someone walks into your office and confronts you with false allegations? What is your response? What happens when your spouse confronts you with some false accusations? What do you, how do you respond? We're challenged to understand that what humility looks like is not being puffed up in order to defend oneself, but is to always be ready to ask for forgiveness, even if it's not true. This is what we see at the triumphal entry. Jesus has been accused as a false teacher, has been accused to be one that derived from Beelzebub, has been someone that's been mistreated and has been, uh, 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 has been beaten and bruised all for what? To benefit us, the people of God. But was his triumphal entry really triumphal? See, here's the big idea this morning. I want you to see from the text that Christ's triumphs empowers us to live in authentic humility. Christ's triumph empowers us, the people of God, to live in authentic humility. I believe that the Lord offers a framework for humility from his birth to the death of the cross and a humility that is authentic in the way that it acknowledges not necessarily how he is strong, but how he is able to lay down, which then challenges us to not realize that, God, we have to come to you with everything together, that, Lord, we have to come to you making sure that we have our lives together, that our ducks are in a row, that everything in life is placed properly, and that we will be perfected before him. But God is saying, no, you're not strong. I want you to lay at the foot of the cross, recognizing that your strength does not come because you work hard, but your strength comes because you are actually laying in the flow in the fountain of the blood of the Lamb. That is where we ought to find ourselves making sure that our strength comes from Emmanuel's veins, not from our deep sense of reality or how we feel as if we have it right. Or if I were to be honest, being in the South, making the Bible Belt, making sure that we can keep a cultural Christianity that fits and suits every aspect of our lives. If God really radically transformed the ideas and the reality of our lives, then I'm going to trust you to understand that it's not the South that dictates what we live or how we live, but it is the Bible, the Word of God, the truth of God that begins to radically transform and revolutionize the way we live. And, and that, that is why we do the ministry we do. You see, 
Many of us can read several different articles. You, Pew Research showed a, a couple years ago that people of color were leaving spaces of diversity. If you read Pew, Pew Research today, you see there's, a, there's, there's still a desire for multi-ethnic relationships and connectivity, etc. I don't move because New York Times says something. I don't move when Wall Street Journal says something. I don't move when a couple people go somewhere else. I move when God's word calls, us to, calls me to move, and I'll stand firm on it because, trust me, beloved, when everything passes away, when the flowers pass away, when everything is gone, when you ain't got no more money in your pocket, what one can stand on is God's word and his, his word alone. Don't nobody have to tell us how to act. We know how to behave. I think having a deep sense of lament helps us too because when Dr. Raw helped us this week with understanding that humility doesn't come with a story of all being of triumph. Humility doesn't come when you get up there and you share your testimony and it's this is where I once was and, and where I am now. Although that it was very valid. In fact, I remember having several testimony times where that was very important. But he made a key point. How many drug addicts porn addicts, how many alcoholics, how many people that are dealing with abuse in other situations step up to the mic and say, you know what, church, I've been dealing with this particular issue. I'm still dealing with it. I just fell yesterday, but I'm still trusting in Jesus to keep me walking in the right way. I may have been prone to wonder in one sense, and I feel it a whole lot, but God has kept me, and I still desire him. I'm sitting here this morning, not because I'm in my right mind, but because he keeps me in my right mind. He guides my steps. He makes my path. He is the one that guides and leads me in every way. That is why I'm here, saints. It's not by my own strength, not by my own. If I had just a couple amens, I will keep preaching. But I, I just want to know that we believe that it is God that sustains us in the middle of our trials, in the middle of our, in, in the middle of our trouble, so that we can lament in an authentic way that shows the humiliation, not simply when we are strong, but when we are weak. Let this week break you down, beloved. Let it break you down because your testimonies should be imperfect and not resolved simply because you have, uh, uh, you have overcome. You need to still trust in Jesus, and we all need to trust in Jesus and wrestle with this idea that the powerful aspects of lamenting doesn't mean that we're judged to condemnation, condemnation but that we're free so much so that people can realize our imperfections and we can still live in a safe place in a community as the people of God. That probably should be a practice for us is what Dr. Raw taught us this week. That maybe two or three of us find a couple people that we say, you know what, I'm weak and I'm vulnerable. And I don't have it together. I've, been, I've, I've actually, this is the way that I've fallen. These are the things that I'm consistently struggling with and, and my pride keeps me from telling you this. Some of us need those people in our lives if you don't have them because they help us to understand the reality of what it means to be human. As we cultivate that environment, I think that the triumphal entry helps us to understand a couple things. That God's triumph, yes, empowers us, big idea, to live in authentic humility. The way that's fleshed out is that we trust in his authority, right? We have to trust in the authority, the lordship of Jesus Christ. But then also that we 
as we live these empowered lives, we stand out from the crowd because oftentimes it looks fine to stand in the crowd and be a part of the crowd, but then also it helps us to see that the kingdom is near. When we look at our first point this morning, which is in the first five verses, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the purpose of trusting in Christ's authority? If I'm going to suffer, if I'm going to go through some things, what is the purpose of following him? I think depending on what gospel you read, I like Mark's gospel. We're looking at Matthew because I believe that he helps us to see that Jesus in his Old Testament way is prophesied to be the the Messianic king. But right before we get to this triumphal entry, we see that there is two blind beggars in Matthew's gospel. What we see is blind Bartimaeus in Mark's gospel. What we understand between the beggars is the fact that as they were sitting on this Jericho road, which was a dangerous road and a narrow road, a huge crowd, large crowd following behind Jesus, some in front of Jesus, this blind beggar or these two blind beggars were to recognize that there was something different that day on that road. That somebody was coming across that road that could not just put a couple dollars in their pockets. That they couldn't just give them a meal to eat, but can actually change, transform their lives for all of eternity. And you see, I can just only imagine if I use my imagination that, oh, blind Bartimaeus or those two beggars were saying, wait a minute, I hear more footsteps than I hear than usual. And, and it seems to be a large crowd walking around. Who is that that y'all have with us? And they probably heard somebody talking and saying, man, this is Jesus with us, but, but you can't bother him right now. You can't bother him right now. It's what they actually were trying to do. They said, leave him alone. And, and they said, I can't leave him alone. Can you help me? Oh, blind Bartimaeus yelled out, can you help me? And Jesus asked, what can I do for you today? And see, he could have asked for a couple dollars. He could have asked so that he can get him a crib. He could have asked that he could just get on his feet. But he said, will you give me my sight back? This challenges us because Jesus, when giving him his sight back and healing him, the beggar got up and followed him. The reason it challenges us, much like religious believers in the South, Jesus heals us, but we don't follow him. Jesus changes the trajectory of our lives, and yet we still feel the urge to rebel against him. God has opened up doors in our lives but we still feel the urge to resist him. That is the reality of being a human. But God's power is by his spirit empowers us to trust in his authority. Why? Because his authority is the very thing that will free us from our blindness, that will free us from our spiritual disability to walk with him, that when we were spiritually lame, God continues to form and shape us. When we were spiritually deaf, God gave us ears to hear his very word. 
Even when you were seven years old and you were a child, you didn't understand the full reality. God gave you ears to hear his word. Even when you were 50 years old and you didn't understand what it meant to walk with Jesus all of your life and you walked away from the church, I may be speaking to somebody virtually, you know with the reality that God says you can still follow me. I can still change your life. The power and the authority of Christ heals us, strengthens us. The two disciples, once taking the command from Jesus, when you look in our text, he says, go and, 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 and find me the donkey and the coat that's tied up. If you read Luke's gospel, you understand that these, the two disciples are Peter and John. And they went into the village to fulfill what the prophecy was said in Zechariah 9 and 9. That's what we see in the middle of our text. But here, when we see the authority of Jesus Christ being demonstrated, look at what he says. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. The Lord, the master, needs them. And, you should, and they will send it at once. What's happening here? What's happening well, is Christ is not manipulating the situation, but he's fulfilling the prophecy. Many people will read the commentaries or uh, scholars will see that, well, maybe those people, the, the, people, the servants seeing that the master or the Lord that they were referring to was the master that left for some time. And so there was able, they were able to find a donkey or, and a coat that was not um, saddled before and take them. But I don't think that that was the case. I think the reality is that they may have heard that there was a man named Jesus who declared himself Lord. And in doing so, they felt the urge to give the donkey and the colt so that the king could ride in them. But see, this is the realization of a, of, a, of, a, of a rabbi, of a teacher that has such authority. Remember the authority where he says that I have been given, all authority has been given to me. In Matthew 28, we also see that he is the one that fulfilled the scriptures because they said, who can teach this way? It is him who has this authority. I, I believe a lot, of under, a, a lot of individuals at that time were able to see that his authority, the purpose of his authority was to fulfill the prophecy, and, le and actually liberate them for eternity. But what's the significance of riding in on a donkey? Why did he ride in on a war horse? If this is a triumphal entry, why didn't, I, why didn't he come ready for battle as a royal king? It is because Christ's triumph was not a victory to defeat the social or cultural norms of the day, but to defeat the death of the people to, to defeat death for the people of God for all of eternity. Beloved, I need you, I need you to hear this, that our king didn't come by, re, by these prophet, prophetic words that give us this vague tension merely so that we can struggle, but he came because his disposition was one as a messianic king ready to take victory, not ready to receive victory. I mean, ready to receive, he was, he, sorry, he didn't come to take victory. He was coming in peace because he was the one that had already received victory. That's the thing. That's why he didn't come in, in a way that will seem to frighten others or take by force. His position was one that was already from victoriousness. Therefore, his meekness was not one to be mistaken as one that was simply weak and feeble, but one that wanted to come not to fight, but to bring about peace. 
I like how seasoned saints would say it. They would declare that the battle is already won. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And the reason that we ought to understand that reality is because that God's power and his authority does not come merely because he demonstrates all of his power. What's the purpose then? Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 shows us that, the, that, that Jesus' ministry is characterized in order to vindicate and save by the power from death by the power of God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, essentially humble, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 12, 18 through 21, behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in, the name, in his name the Gentiles will hope. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Beloved, we ought to be encouraged because he didn't come with violence. He didn't use force. He didn't demean others. He didn't glorify himself in a prideful and arrogant way as the victor. But we live in a society that encourages this. We live in a society that encourages that level of aggression, that encourages that level of pain, that encourages that level of uh, uh, problems and issues. We encourage that in our own society. So then what we have to recognize and realize is that if we then see this encouraged on Action News, CNN, the use of violence because of hatred, racism, bigotry, and discrimination. Kids killing kids in our own communities. Children dying because of random gun violence. Drug infestation. Children having to fear their lives when they simply want to go to school and get an education that somebody else will come and bully them by trying to take something from them, either by force or by violence in some way. Genocide happening all around the world, past and present from what we've seen. This violence should cause all of us to lament. And yes, somebody asked this past week, we can feel overwhelmed with all of the violence because we can't do it. But it doesn't mean that we can't lament the fact that these things that happen, happen and we need God's justice to come, his authority to come, and we need to stand firmly on it. The purpose of trusting in his authority is not to be overwhelmed by the violence. It's not to be overwhelmed by the terror, but it's to know that a soon coming king will rectify absolutely everything. It was in Mozambique, there was a story where they would exchange AK-47s for its farm tools. And what happened was one pastor said, how about we, this wasn't just like them political format to just stop the violence or uh, the way that we, they want to change gun laws. There were civil wars happening. 
and they wanted to end the wars. They didn't want people to die anymore. And so the pastor stood up and said, how about everyone that exchanges their AK-47s in, not only that, but find other machine guns that are buried all over the land. How about you find them, you bring them to us, and we'll give you farm tools in order for you to make money. Because their economy was built on agriculture. The reality is, is that instead of killing they felt that they can build up their community economically and peacefully. Beloved, I believe this speaks to us in more ways than we realize. Because as Christians, we ought to stand out from the crowd, being individuals that call for peace. Being individuals that continue to work in the same vein of the civil rights movement. That nonviolence is key to the way to bring about peace. And to bring about the justice that is necessary in glorifying God. Because I believe this. There is no violence that glorifies God because it becomes about the individual. It becomes about your revenge. I believe that's the paradigm that I believe the Bible helps us when it discusses peace and justice that, that, that does not try to take vengeance for itself because the Bible says the vengeance is the Lord. He is alone. So we stand on that authority and we proclaim that truth in humility. And as we, point number two, stand out from the crowd, why should we do it? Because we stand on that truth in humility. <laughs> it, it, it is simple as that. We stand on that truth that the fact that he has authority, we stand on it in humility, understanding that when we stand out from the crowd, we begin to proclaim someone bigger and someone greater. When you zoom into this, these next couple verses, I want you to look at the crowd. Focus on everyone that is in the crowd. Why do they spread their cloaks? What does it mean for some to follow before and some to, to, follow, behind, um, to, follow, to follow from behind? Why are they shouting, Hosanna, son of David? Blessed is he who come in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Why are they doing these things? The reason is this. They are spreading their cloaks because they're trying to make a pathway for the king. It's as simple as that. And in doing this, making this pathway for the king, there are several people in this, in this, uh, in this uh, crowd that, number one, were the same people Jesus had compassion on when he was jumping on a boat to get away from the crowd, but then they met him ashore, and then he kept, had compassion on them. As soon as he came off the boat, he began to heal them. These are some of the same folks that were a part of the 5,000 that he fed. Families, meals, people, of people who are individuals that actually were blessed by his ministry. Same couple of folks, just like blind Bartimaeus and the two beggars, who actually were individuals that were healed by God and began to fo and follow the Lord because they believed in his ministry. But then there were some that were skeptical. They laid down cloaks, but they wanted to see what would actually happen. They were trying to challenge Jesus in every aspect of what he was doing. There were some that were trying to understand, is he just a prophet or is he actually the Messiah? 
There were others who were in his ear or in the ear of the disciples trying to distract them from the mission of what Jesus was doing. You can see the crowd is large. It's massive. But why are they following behind? Some are following behind to secure him. Some are following before to secure him. Why? Because just imagine a large crowd around him riding on a donkey into this place and making a much noise about the king that is coming. It almost looked as if a government official who has 17 SUVs in this large possessional coming into, the, into Memphis, and we know that he stopped all of tra- traffic or those funeral possessions that you get frustrated with, that you get, stopped, that you get caught in. Oftentimes, I was hunking somebody this morning because they stopped, and I didn't realize there was something that was coming that they were stopping before, so I, I, I felt real bad. I wasn't humble at all. But these individuals... were able to taste and see the goodness of Jesus Christ. But why were they yelling, Hosanna, save us? Or, as you can look in the Hebrew text in the Septuagint, it would actually mean save indeed. Why is it that these people in the crowd could yell, save indeed, but at the same time be the same individuals that will yell, crucify him, when they were in front of Pilate? The struggle for us understanding the crowd is to realize that we're a part of the people in the crowd. More so, dealing with the reality. See, I gave all aspects of it. Some of us in here are skeptical. Some of us in here are just here to try to test or try to challenge Jesus. We've been healed by him. We've been changed by him. But we still, are, we still don't really believe or know. And so he's just a prophet. And so then we get to that point and we yell crucify him because we really didn't believe. point is is to recognize that we ought to stand out from the crowd, speaking truth at all times. Because as this crowd was going, this is the funny thing, they were singing Psalm 113 through 118. So, you know, just, just imagine them singing the song of the Lord. You know, it just remind me, their armies, the army of the Lord, I'm a soldier in the army. But just imagine them singing enchanting together all that's right all together so that the the very thing that they were waiting for hosanna in the highest that heaven save us the lord is the lord that has come the man that has come save us oh god heaven bring it down to us blessing and praises a wishful act in terms of god help us they were singing all of the songs but they didn't believe in what they were singing they didn't believe in the one that was there before them they stand out from the crowd doing something that is very important for us to understand. That their pilgrimage was to arrive at a point that was far beyond just Jerusalem. It was the new heavens and the new earth. A kingdom that, was, that is to come, that has one, because Jesus inaugurated that kingdom. I want you to get excited just for a minute. Because when you understand that you stand out from the crowd, in the south, what does that look like? Where are you challenged from standing out from those that look just like you? How do you proclaim that in your workplace? I was encouraged this week because I heard our own brother, Rob Thompson, preaching to some business individuals at the center of Memphis. And as he was preaching, I said, go ahead. I said, we're going to have to get Rob to preach one day. 
But he was, I was encouraged because not just merely he was giving a talk, but because what he was saying was rooted and grounded in God's word. It wasn't just mere tactics or strategies or thinking about how to be more productive, but it was that because of who he knows, it transforms the way that he does business. That's how we stand out from the crowd, beloved. But we stand out because we proclaim a kingdom that we know that is near. This is the last point. How is it that we can sing, come thy fountain, and be individuals that understand that we're prone to wonder? But what always sticks with me is like a fetter. I, I used to get lost on prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. The God I love. But then God started, when I listened to the song, see, I, I just meditating on it. Fetter just let thy goodness, like a fetter, a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee. Bind my wandering heart to thee. I want to be a part of your kingdom, but I, I, things taste good right now. I, I want to make sure that I long and stay with you, but right now I can make a little bit more money if I do this, Lord. I, I want to follow you, but, but I'm wondering because uh, she looks good or he looks good. Or they make me feel good, and so I don't want to leave that relationship. I don't want to leave that individual that sexually makes me feel this way. I, I, God, I'm dealing with other sexual issues, and I'm prone to wonder because society is telling me to lean one way, but my heart is telling me to lean another way, and my flesh is weak, Lord. I need you to stay with me, stay with me prone to wonder, Lord. Lord, I, I feel it. It becomes real. It becomes the very thing that I, the urge that wakes me up in the middle of the night, the urge that causes me to stress and be overwhelmed, the urge that causes me to hide my, my vulnerabilities, the urge that causes me not to want your kingdom, but to want everything that's temporal right now. Help me, God, to desire, be chained to eternity, chained to your kingdom, chained to the righteousness, chained to your goodness. And so the kingdom is near. And so when he arrives, Jerusalem is stirred up. I said it like I'm from St. Louis, stirred. And when he, when, when he arrives, they say, who is this? And they say, this is a prophet, Jesus. Is he merely a prophet? He's not merely a prophet. But remember when Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, essentially, you said that, you said so. Many of us are still asking the question of who is this? Many of us are struggling and wrestling with that question of who is this? And when Jesus comes in Luke 19, 41 through 44, this king actually weeps over his city. He weeps over Jerusalem. Look at what it says. And when he drew near the, and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would you, would that you, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. God empowers us to see his kingdom even when it's difficult to recognize it. For the days will come upon you 
when your enemies will set up a, bar a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. There were so many people that could see Jesus, but that could not see the Christ. There were so many people that could see Jesus, but could not see the King. Accepting his humanity, but not able to see his divinity. And we ourselves do the very thing when we, can, we cannot see the kingdom drawing near because our hearts have been grieved by reality. And so we are not aware of who this Christ is. We're blind to the arrival of his kingdom, beloved. And our hearts are wondering to every other philosophical thought or every other doctrine that leads us astray. And beloved, let me tell you this. Our minds are dressed up by aesthetics, performative acts, and we let those performative acts do something that's a bit different, it should not mean that we just look like a Christian. Performative justice, restorative justice, this kind of justice, all because we want to perform, not because we want it to be lived out through the kingdom coming. I'm going to leave you with this, but I want to call the worship team to come up because I know I've taken too much time. For our lives to be radically transformed, we have to do it before God's glory. And so what you're about to sing right now, you're singing to respond. Imagine being a part of the crowd and all of us saying, for your glory, I will do anything. Lord, if I find favor in your sight, Lord, please Hear my heart's cry. I'm desperately waiting to be where you are. I'll cross the hot, hottest desert. I'll travel near or far. For your glory, I will do anything just to see you, to behold you as my king. For your glory that God calls us so that we will live as children of the living King. Father, we thank you that you have called us to be individuals to recognize that what is happening this week is a drama that goes far beyond an emotional feeling, but it requires our hearts to leap at the fact that you are coming and that what you've done for us has radically transformed us rearranged the furniture in our lives so that we, Lord, will feel comfortable sitting in your presence. Help us, Lord Jesus, to know that our Christian lives are not just acts of performing, but it's to help us to live as authentic, humble human beings that are broken all for you. It is in Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people say together, amen.